Have you ever noticed how we're different and the same and the same and we're different and we're different and the same? All kinds of people, all kinds of people, all kinds of people in the world. Now, on the Talk of Muncie WMUN, All Kinds of People, hosted by Dr. Joe Mashevitz. Getting to know the people of Muncie and Delaware County, Indiana, in a way you've never heard before. It's another way we're using our voice to build our community from Woof Boom Radio and 92.5 FM, 1340 AM, WMUN. Here's your host, Dr. Joe. Good, good morning, everybody. Welcome to WMUN, the talk of Muncie and all kinds of people. And I want to say a special thanks to Dr. Ken Holland for making his way down to Woof Boom Studios. Thanks, Ken, for stopping into the studios. Oh, you're very welcome, Joe. Um, we're going to kind of back up a little bit. Um, you arrived in Muncie around 2008, but I want to see if I can take you back to your high school days and where you grew up. Um, Maybe a couple of memories from high school that got you started into the academic world. Um, so um, can you back us up a little bit about that and kind of fill us in on some of the details? Sure. Um, I was born in uh, Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, my father was in the Marine Corps. And then when I was uh, 14, um, we moved from Charleston to Greenville, South Carolina and uh, enrolled into a General Wade Hampton High School. <laughs> and uh, at that time, of course, uh, high schools in South Carolina were racially segregated. Um, uh, and I was very interested at that time in um, uh, chemistry. So uh, you know, I took a, you know, a chemistry course, and then after my uh, junior year, I was selected by the National Science Foundation as a promising young scientist and uh, went to Emory University in, in Atlanta for a summer and took college level uh, chemistry courses uh, and did very well. And then at the end of the uh, summer, uh, I met with the chairman of the chemistry department at Emory and uh, he said, you know, you've done so well in these college level classes, we'd like to offer you a full scholarship. Uh, so uh, I felt pretty good about that. But then uh, I started thinking more about what my main interests were. And at that time, I was uh, you know, writing poetry as kind of a hobby and uh, reading a lot of uh, literature. And so I decided that my real strength was more in the, the humanities than it was in the sciences. And then I said, well, what could you do with yourself if you love uh, you know, the humanities? And I said, oh, I could be a lawyer. Um, so, uh, so I made that shift from a chemist uh, to a lawyer in my own mind. <laughs> so you gave up the chemical world. Yes. Um, you pursued your master's degree at the University of Virginia um, and then went on and got your Ph.D. at the University of Chicago in political science. Um, sort of a chemistry mix in political science sometimes <laughs> with the various politics, but did that pretty much set the stage for your writing and research once you got involved in the political science area? Yeah, so I probably should back up a little bit. Um, so I actually went to college at Furman University, okay. uh, which is okay. also in, in Greenville. Uh, and I won a James Buchanan Duke scholarship. 
Uh, so I paid for my entire college uh, education. And I majored in political science at Furman because I thought that was the best preparation for law. And I had a professor, uh, Ernest Walters, uh, who had done his PhD at the University of Chicago. And he really encouraged me to pursue an academic career rather than a legal career. And then also I had a professor in psychology and um, took a couple of courses with him. And he said, uh, we here at uh, Furman would like to recommend you for a Woodrow Wilson uh, fellowship. Um, so I was uh, only one of a handful of um, college students in, South, in the whole state of South Carolina uh, who was awarded this Woodrow Wilson uh, fellowship. So then that allowed me to go you know, to graduate school. Also, at that time, it was the Vietnam War. <laughs> so my draft I mean, board I informed me. That well, thank yeah, you. <laughs> my draft board informed me that uh, if I did not go to a graduate school with uh, Army ROTC, I would be drafted. Yes, <laughs> I lived through that very thing. My draft number was number ten. Thank uh, you. So I enlisted in the Army. Um, um, I guess on the sense that I would not get sent over. Um, so. Um, I, I hear you talking about a couple people who sort of mentored. Um, I know that part of your life in a variety of different countries has been mentoring a lot of different people. How important do you think that's been in the academic life for getting guidance and helping others kind of set their path? No, it's really critical. Um, when I look back at my college career, um, you know, it was Professor Walters who really steered me in the path that I finally took. Uh, and it was the psychology professor who recommended me for the Woodrow Wilson Fellowship. And I had to sign a statement saying, I intend to become a college teacher in order to accept that fellowship. So really those two uh, professors had a huge impact on me. Um, and then at the University of Virginia, um, I had to go there because they had Army ROTC, and Chicago did not. <laughs> <laughs> Made the move for the military, thank you. Yeah. Um, you've done teaching um, at the University of Wisconsin, University of Vermont, Memphis, Kansas State, Summit Ball State University. Um, what's it like being in the classroom for you? What's it like working with people in a variety of things? And along with some of the technological changes that you've certainly experienced in the classroom. Yeah, no, I, I love teaching, and as you said, the technology has changed dramatically. And, of course, I was uh, chairman of the political science department at the University of Memphis. And, of course, I had to work with faculty and had to—I did a lot of mentoring as department chair— uh, there were faculty whose maybe research wasn't as strong as it should be. Uh, their teaching, you know, uh, had some deficiencies. So I really cut my teeth as a mentor, as a department chair. And I'm quite fascinated by the fact that right now you're on leave, I believe, as a professor of law and the dean at the O.P. Jindal Global University in India. Yes. Is that a pretty accurate statement? Yeah, yeah. Um, Kind of share with me what it means to be on leave from that particular university in India. Yeah, so I uh, actually um, published an article uh, in the Canadian Journal of uh, Foreign Policy, and the article uh, was on Canada's dilemma. Uh, so Canada is what we call a middle power, 
And uh, the United States and China are now, as we all know, engaged in this uh, great power rivalry. So Canada faces a lot of hard choices. What does it do? Does it, you know, does it remain neutral and not take sides? Does it take the side of the U.S. or does it take the side of China? So I wrote an article kind of laying out these three basic choices that Canada had. And then I a publisher named Palgrave, Palgrave Macmillan contacted me and said, we think your article could easily become a book. Um, so I signed a contract, and then um, since I was teaching at Jindal, uh, I didn't really have the time to finish the book, so I asked for a research leave to complete the book, and that's, that's what I'm doing right now. So now you're in the book writing business. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, will you drift back to India when you well, uh, yeah, so I'm on leave until July 1st, so I could go back to India. But at the same time, uh, I'm really interested, as you know, in uh, higher education development. So I've been talking with uh, the U.S. Department of State uh, about perhaps taking an assignment in Pakistan. Uh, I made three trips to Pakistan last year. Uh, I've been working in Pakistan, um, you know, off and on in improving higher education uh, since 2011. Uh, so I have a deep roots in that country. Uh, so I may uh, decide to go to Pakistan rather than back to India. Ladies and gentlemen, we're talking with Dr. Ken Holland on all kinds of people. And when we come back, not only will we talk a little bit about Pakistan and uh, his leave of absence from India, but some of the other places he has worked in and his thoughts on higher education and changes going on. Thanks for joining us for all kinds of people. We'll be back after these announcements. on demand soundcloud.com slash WMUN radio back to Dr. Joe hey hey everybody welcome back to all kinds of people and we've spent the first segment with Dr. Ken Holland and Ken I'm kind of curious Um, you're on leave from a school in India you've been to Afghanistan Pakistan you've what got your interest in this international starting from a school down in the Carolinas and working your way up through the educational process, what what caught your attention about the international scope and getting involved in all of that? Yeah, actually, uh, I was never thinking about, you know, traveling overseas, um, but my first uh, experience was as a senior at Furman, and Furman had a study abroad program. So I was one of the uh, students who went to England for the fall semester of my senior year. So you spent the entire semester there? The entire semester, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So then I realized I can survive in a foreign country. <laughs> <laughs> I can leave the United States and come back and enjoy it, okay? Yeah. 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 And uh, so then I enjoyed that experience so much. Uh, when I became a professor, I said, I'll take students myself. So I started taking students to England when I was at the University of Vermont. Uh, And then when I was at the University of Vermont, I was given a Fulbright 
lectureship in Japan, a professor of law, and spent 18 months in Japan. So then when I came back, I started taking students uh, also to Japan. So I had a whole group of students. They'd go with me to London for six weeks and then go with me to Japan for six weeks. So um, I became much more internationally focused as a result of especially my experience in Japan. But what really uh, uh, turned me toward international development was my experience at Kansas State. Um, so I was the associate provost for international programs, and the dean of the business school was an Afghan-American. And he came to me one day and he said, you know, I graduated from Kabul University, and I actually was an assistant dean there. And as a result of the Civil War, um, the university has really been almost destroyed. So uh, would you go with me to Washington to try to find money to rebuild Kabul University? Uh, of course, you know, this is after the 2001 U.S. Uh, invasion of Afghanistan. So in 2006, uh, he and I went to Kabul. Uh, we went to the U.S. Embassy and uh, other donors. But when we went to the World Bank office, uh, we really hit the jackpot. Uh, we said we're here to help you know, rebuild Kabul rebuild University. Kabul. And the World Bank officer, who I'm still very friendly with, uh, he said to me, he said to the both of us, he said, well, it's your lucky day. I've got $40 million to rebuild the universities in Afghanistan, and I'm going to give you the money on one condition. And we said, what's that? He said, uh, Ken Holland has to manage all the projects. <laughs> <laughs> so why not take on a small little project in your spare time? Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I guess I'm trying to imagine walking into the World Bank hoping to get some kind of funding, and all of a sudden, boom, there it is. Yeah. And then did that trigger you having to spend considerable time in Afghanistan? Yes. So um, the way it worked was the World Bank um, bought, bought my time. So the World Bank said to Kansas State, uh, we want to buy, say, 50 percent of Dr. Holland's time. We'll pay you 50 percent of his salary and fringe benefits. Making some adjunct faculty jump around. Exactly. Yeah. So I was replaced by adjunct faculty. Yeah, there you yeah, go. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Um, what, what do you think you've gained from the time you've spent in these various different countries, coming out of, as you said at the start of the program, a segregated school system mm -hmm. where really there was no mix necessarily. And now you're in so many different environments with a variety of different people and you thrive on that. What do you think it was that triggered the continuing interest in that kind of thing? Yeah, what I discovered was that people are the same all over. Um, you know, I, I've worked in uh, Buddhist countries, Hindu countries, uh, Muslim countries, Christian countries, um, and people are the same. Uh, and so I always respect, you know, their local customs and their religion. Uh, and but I say, look, I, I, my job is to help improve your universities. Uh, my job is to improve the faculty and, and you know, improve the, uh, the quality of teaching, um, improve the physical plant, improve the library. So I always had very specific goals in mind. Okay. Uh, and people were always happy to have, have my help. And never afraid to ask, obviously, for assistance from banks and the things like you have done. 
Yeah, no, I've been very, I've had very good relationships with all the major donors, um, U.S. Agency for International Development, U.S. Department of State, World Bank, Asian Development Bank, and even private foundations like the Henry Luce Foundation. I noticed as I was kind of doing some snooping into your background um, that you're into the Soviet model of higher education and I'm wondering if you could share a couple points about what triggered that interest and, and what, what are that model, what's it all about? Yeah, so uh, the first day I arrived in Afghanistan, it was July uh, 2006, I was actually at the airport in Kabul waiting for my luggage to arrive, and I got a phone call <laughs> on my <laughs> cell phone, and it was the Ministry of Education in Tajikistan which is just a, you know, across the border. Okay. And they said, we know you're in Afghanistan to help their universities. We need help too. So after I spent uh, three weeks in Kabul, I flew to Dushanbe and, and started working with uh, Tajikistan. Uh, and then I later went to Mongolia and spent a lot of time in Mongolia working with universities. And also was in China and I uh, was in Russia as well. So anyway, what I came to realize was that uh, the Soviet model is very, very different, you know, from the American and, and British model. Uh, what are a couple of those factors? Yeah, one of the most important is that in the Soviet model, everyone is trained to work for the government. So mm -hmm. students do not choose their university. They do not choose their major. They do not choose their job. They do not choose, they have no choices. Uh, the second is the method of teaching. It's always the lecture method. Um, so it's just rote learning. And uh, they have typically one examination a semester and that's it. So your entire assessment is based on this uh, examination. Um, so what I wanted to do in all of these countries was to introduce the concept of choice, student choice and the students have agency. Um, and you, I even work with high schools to help. So it, it's a way of thinking. Sure, yeah. they get to pick their major, or pick yeah. their career path, and, yeah. um, and also use their skill sets to apply them to what could be a good career path. And, uh, and the idea that you could actually have a career in the private sector, that was completely unknown. To yeah, them. okay. Yeah. Um, so I find myself sitting back saying, okay, um, when your wife and you, Julie, uh, have time in Muncie, assuming you're in Muncie once in a while, and you've got three children and grandchildren, what do you do when you're not traveling around? Or does Julie also jump on these trips as well? Yeah, so one of the nice things about our marriage is that Julie uh, almost always accompanies me. Um, so she has a doctorate in education. Okay. And uh, so she's been involved in, in most of these projects. So it's been a team approach. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's, that's even better. Thank you. Um, I, I guess, um, what's your sense of, given technology, what's your sense of where the classroom is headed today? Yeah, that's an interesting story. Um, so uh, my work in Afghanistan led to several assignments in Iraq. And when the COVID uh, hit, uh, I got a call from the Ministry of Education in Iraq saying, we've had to close our universities and we want our faculty to teach online, but they don't know how to do it. We know you know how to do it. Could you train them? 
So I actually trained 900 Iraqi faculty. Whoa, 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 wait. (laughs) (laughs) Did you do this training online? Yeah, online. Yeah, because they were from universities throughout the country. Okay. Um, So uh, I taught them uh, how to teach their courses online, and um, it was very rewarding for me, and uh, of course had a big impact on uh, higher education in Iraq. Ladies and gentlemen, we've been with Ken Holland, the good Dr. Ken Holland of Muncie, who's basically traveled the world. I appreciate you all tuning in to all kinds of people, and I want to thank you, Ken, for making the effort to come down to Wolf Boom. This has been very enjoyable. And continue your travels and impacting the educational system, sir. Um, Join us again next week, everybody, and have a very good week. Keep tuned to WMUN, the talk of Muncie. It's Dr. Joe saying farewell.